Thank you so much. What a wonderful success we've all enjoyed together. Thanks, you guys. You voted, we reported. Elections are over, but results are still trickling in. On this special episode of 45 Days, we wrap up the 2018 midterm elections as much as we can. I'm Nicole Nixon. And I'm Julia Ritchie. We are just 82 days away from the next legislative session. But we are still recovering from a late night looking at election returns. Here to help us understand what happened and why, we're joined by Brigham Young University political science professor Chris Karperwitz. Welcome. Thanks. It's great to be here. So let's jump right into it and start with the most closely watched race this cycle, Utah's 4th Congressional District. Democrat Ben McAdams is leading Republican incumbent Mia Love by less than 2%, just a few thousand votes right now. Is this result a surprise? Well, I think it's not a surprise that it's very close. It's one of the races that um, it is the race we were watching the most here in Utah, I think, and and certainly one that's been watched around the country as well. So uh, we'll likely have a, a better idea of the final outcome later this week. I know we're supposed to get um, some more results today from Salt Lake County. Utah County had a lot of problems <laughs> yesterday yes. counting votes. Um, but President Trump wasted no time today <laughs> writing off Representative Love in a combative yes. press conference. Uh, let's take a listen to that clip. Mia Love. I saw Mia Love. She'd call me all the time to help her with a hostage situation, uh, but Mia Love gave me no love, and she lost. Too bad. Sorry about that, Mia. So does the president have a point here? Did, did Love distance herself too much, or is this just the president on a, on a mild tangent after losing the House? Yeah, I, I really... Um have been puzzling about what he's thinking here because it's not it's it's not clear to me at all that if he had come to the fourth district to campaign for Mia Love that that would have been a helpful thing for her. Um, this district is a swing district and it leans Republican, but it's certain but it's one where it's won or lost with the independents and the moderate Republicans, and that's not the group that. Um, is inspired by or energized by Donald Trump at all. Um, and so he's not particularly popular in the state of Utah. He's not particularly popular among the set of voters who are needed to win. And so in one sense, I think his comments actually help Mia Love if she happens to pull it out, because it will be clear that she won this race um, without his help at all. Um, and that uh, and his and his comments we're also emphasizing how much she worked on constituent service and and trying to help with that hostage situation in Venezuela. So I, I don't really see these comments as hurting Mia Love, and they might even help her in the sense that she can now go to voters to say that she is independent of um, what the president wants. That's a helpful message for, at least for those moderate Republicans and and independents. It will certainly be awkward if she does somehow take the lead <laughs> yes. and has to go back to Washington and continue to work with a president who essentially uh, dismissed her. <laughs> yes, I think that will be um, that will be very awkward. And and the odd thing about it is there still is a, a very plausible path to victory for her. It's going to be razor thin, but. Um, 
it all depends on on just how much she can run up the score in Utah County, and and and, and can she do that enough to offset um, Ben McAdams' advantages in Salt Lake County? And we only have a, a little less than forty percent of the vote, or forty percent of the precincts. We don't know how much um, of the vote in terms of raw vote totals is still outstanding. So I think it was very premature for him to speak in that way. And um, it will make, if she happens to go back to Washington, D.C., she'll be going back um, as a member of the minority party in the House and someone who... um, uh, who has clearly distanced herself in some way, or the president has distanced himself from her. And so I think that that will be an unusual situation um, for her. Again, I think, as I said before, I think that sort of helps her with the the set of voters she really needs to persuade um, if, she want, if she wins and ends up seeking re-election again. So let's jump to um, the Utah Senate race, which is the only statewide race on the ballot this year. Um, not a big surprise. Mitt Romney pulled off a commanding victory over Democrat Jenny Wilson. Um, so now the big question is what kind of senator Mitt Romney will be in Washington. Has he dropped any hints at, to this point about that? Well, I think that's a great question. It is, first of all, I think unique for the state of Utah to have its junior senator be a former uh, nominee for president of a major political party. And so though he is the junior senator, he's going back to Washington, D.C. with name recognition and um, an ability to command attention that is quite different from the typical first-term senator. Uh, And so I think whatever he does, that will be unique and there will be many people watching. Um, Certainly he's sent signals so far that he is not going to be the very outspoken uh, voice of criticism that he was um, toward Donald Trump during the primary season in 2016 when he memorably, you know, made... um, very direct and and very critical comments about Donald Trump. He seems to have softened that somewhat. And so I think the big question is, how will he um, interact with the president? What will um, what what will that working relationship look like? If it's awkward with Mia Love, there are reasons that it might be awkward with Mitt Romney as well. <laughs> so our delegation will have a very um, unusual set of relationships with the president. And that will be a change, right? Because um, Orrin Hatch was quite supportive of the president across a number of different issues. Um, and, and so... I, I think the the real question is, you know, in what ways is Mitt Romney very different from Warren Hatch? In a lot of ways, he's going to be similar in the sense that he'll be a reliable Republican vote on a number of issues. Um, but how he chooses to distinguish himself, what issues he actually chooses to speak out on, I think that will be um, the real question and, and one that will be interesting to watch. I'm just imagining Thanksgiving dinner with all of these different Republicans <laughs> sitting around the table and trying to, to come get up along. with their, yeah, trying to get along. 
not talk about politics at Thanksgiving. (laughs) (laughs) So I was in Orem with Romney last night. Um, He gave Mm -hmm. a very short victory speech to his supporters. Let's let's take a listen. And the victory tonight is more than a victory of a candidate for the United States Senate. I believe it's a call for greater dignity and respect. I believe it's an affirmation that regardless of one's gender or ethnicity or sexual orientation or race or place of birth, that we are all equal, not only in the eyes of God, but also in the respect and dignity we are due from government and from our fellow Americans. So Romney there touching on concerns that voters here in Utah might have about divisiveness on the national political landscape. And he he didn't mention Trump in that speech. But do you think this might have been a subtweet of sorts to, to the president? <laughs> Yeah, it's certainly sounding very different notes. I mean, thinking about the distinctions between what he's saying and the president's um, news conference today, again, you see, I mean, just very dramatic differences in style. And because Mitt Romney has um, a level of visibility that is unusual for a first-term senator, I think he also has an enormous opportunity to... um, to personify and embody a different kind of republicanism um, and a republicanism that stands in contrast to um, the direction that the party has been going under Donald Trump. Now, how exactly he'll do that, you know, whether he will forcefully, you know, speak out against Donald Trump or the conditions under which he will do that, the issues on which he'll do that, I I think we don't fully know. But he certainly has an opportunity here to be um, the leader of a different tone within the Republican Party, a different style within the Republican Party. I think the thing we don't know fully is what that will mean in terms of the substantive issues and and to what extent will he be with the president on issues um, and which issues will he choose to you know distance himself from the president. Overall, Democrats performed pretty well nationally after regaining the House and a few key governorships, especially in the Midwest, where they had not done so well in 2016. Looking locally, Mm -hmm. it appears Utah Democrats also turned out in higher numbers. Uh, What can you tell us about voter turnout in this uh, midterm election in Utah? Well, overall, um, it seems to have been higher, and I don't think we'll know the you know the final numbers um, and, and for another few days. Um, but what what I can say right now is that nationally, it looks like a very good year, relatively speaking. That is, turnout overall in midterm elections tends to be lower. It's going to be somewhat uh, right now. The last figure I saw nationally was somewhere around 47 percent, which was higher than I think any midterm election since the mid-60s. And we certainly seem to have seen a lot of energy and interest here in the state of Utah um, as well. What that will mean in terms of our overall turnout, um, I think, remains to be seen. Utah has been toward the bottom of uh, of. Uh, the list of states in terms of turnout over the last several election cycles, somewhere between 39 and 45 out of 50. Um, That's not a great or impressive number. But I think there has been energy. And to the extent that we have a few, um, you know, competitive races, that's good for turnout in the state. 
Ballot propositions were something Nicole and I kept hearing from voters we talked to yesterday at the polls. It it seems Mm -hmm. like medical marijuana and Medicaid really motivated not just Democrats, but a a wide cross-section of voters um, to show up and vote. Uh, Right now, those two ballot initiatives look kind of like they're going to pass while the Proposition 4, which is the political redistricting measure, is like hanging in the balance a little bit. Um, Are ballot initiatives the future of Utah policymaking? Well, that's a that's a great question and a big question, right? And I think that that um, we see we tend to see more ballot initiatives when people are feeling frustration with the with the legislature. And um, I think it is interesting on medical marijuana that public support for that um, ballot proposition has also provoked um, reactions now in the. In um, the state legislature and with important um, groups in the state, including the LDS Church, so it certainly seems to have been a way to provoke action um, on the part of the state legislature. Um, you know, I and I think Medicaid expansion is another example where. The legislature has resisted it for for years, and yet it's very popular in the state of Utah. Now, I don't think Utah is about to become California and have you know lists and lists of ballot initiatives. Government but, on demand. Yeah, <laughs> it's exactly. just like podcast <laughs> audio on demand. <laughs> the wave but of the I, future. Exactly, but I think I think um, it does seem to have been effective on issues where there's um, meaningful public support and frustration or uh, with the legislature, or at least a sense that the legislature is not really responding um, to public opinion. Now, I think the other issue is Proposition 4, where... Yeah, what happened there? (laughs) Yeah, I don't... That is a a great question, and it appears that more rural areas have been... um, much less supportive of of that ballot proposition. Um, But overall, it seems to have underperformed the polling. Um, And and that's a bit surprising to me because um, generally people have expressed worries about, uh, across the country at least, and uh, there are at least some some echoes of this, people expressing worries about the issue of districting and, and gerrymandering and sort of partisanship being playing too big a role in the drawing of of districts right i think if we ask ordinary voters most people feel like voters should choose their politicians politicians shouldn't choose their voters um but uh but that one is a lot closer than i would have expected and probably far too close for comfort for um for the backers of that proposition. Well, we so in passing Prop 2 and Prop 3, what message are voters sending to Utah lawmakers? Well, I think they're sending the message that on certainly on health care issues, Utah is a state that emphasizes compassion, right? And mm-hmm. that um, there is a desire to make sure people have um, the help that they need uh, I think the opioid ec- epidemic also plays a role in this, that people want pain management and other relief that 
does not raise the specter of of opioid addiction. So I think that had a uh, had an important role to play. And similarly with the Medicaid expansion, I think there's a sense among Utahns that these are um, that that we want to take care of the poor. This has been an issue that the governor has tried to lead on, and that the that this, the legislature has really resisted. And so um, I think that message of compassion is what comes through most clearly in that in those two um, propositions. Really quickly, uh, one question that seemed doomed from the start was that non-binding opinion question one on whether to raise the gas tax to fund mm-hmm. education. Why were voters so gung-ho about pot and Medicaid, but not education? <laughs> <laughs> well, education is a tough is a tough issue, right? Um, and this is a perennial issue in the state of Utah. Um, learning is like a natural high. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That's what I tell my students. I wish they would get into that more often. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I think there are a couple of issues going on. One is, you know, there is a level of frustration with the notion that schools need more um, funding, but there there's concern about how to do that, right? Um, I think that is something that Utahns uh, really just don't agree about. And, and, and is the gas tax the right way to go about funding education? I think that was, a, that was a question that opponents raised, and even some supporters who said, yeah, we've, we've got to expand education funding. I'm not so thrilled about the gas tax as a way of doing that. Um, so I, I think you've got some of that going on. Let's go to the state house races really quickly. Democrats picked up a few seats that they had their eyes on in Salt Lake County suburbs, Sandy, uh, Midvale. What's the state house going to look like next year? It's still going to be overwhelmingly Republican. Um, Shock. uh, Shock (laughs) That is not changing. Um, But I do think that the Democratic Party uh, um, has shown, one, that there's a core of Democratic support in Salt Lake City. And two, that there are at least some indications now that they can be competitive and occasionally even win um, outside of that core. And so um, I think that's the interesting thing that I take from this. Um, They are going to pick up seats in um, both the House and the Senate. They'll still be heavily outnumbered. and, and I think the challenge for Democrats going forward is how can they expand outside of that core of support in in Salt Lake County, in the you know, in Salt Lake City. Right. Um, which is a, a stronghold for Democrats. Absolutely. You know, when I talk to people about Utah, they're often surprised. All they know about Utah outside the state is that it's a deep red state. But Salt Lake is is um, a reliably democratic city. And so um, the challenge for Utah Democrats um, in that is similar in that sense to the challenge Democrats have elsewhere, which is how do they how do they appeal outside the city and the problem more broadly is that they um, they have to they have to create a brand for the Democratic Party in the state of Utah that is distinct from the National Democratic Party brand, mm. which is toxic outside you know in rural areas and and other parts of the state. And so that's a long term challenge that will require. Um, you know, finding good candidates and really building the party at a grassroots level, that 
that takes a long time and and, and just a lot of dedication. I do think if Ben McAdams right, were to I was win, to that would that. help. Yeah, um, that would be a model for how it would they could uh, raise their profile statewide. I think that's exactly right. It's uh, and you know he could do that, but he but he has to win first. So we'll see if he does that or not. Okay, so now that midterms are over, President Trump is looking at 2020. What is the state of the Utah governor's race in 2020, as far as you can tell? We need you to look into your crystal ball now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is a hard thing to do because I think most people aren't paying attention. So when when we've polled this in the past or when I've seen other polling, you know, it's mostly name recognition. And so Jason Chaffetz tends to do well because he has high name recognition and he's on Fox News a lot. So, but I don't think that means he's necessarily the front runner for the governorship. Um, I expect that we'll have um, a very interesting primary season yeah. with, <laughs> I can't with wait. basically every corner of the of the Republican Party represented, uh, right? And w- one of the things I tell my students is in in one party states, uh, you know, the primary is where where everything happens, but that creates challenges for voters. It, it makes it hard for voters to fully understand the differences between the candidates because most voters aren't you know, investing a ton of time and energy in learning all of the issue positions of the candidates. I'm sad to say, um, and and so, I, but but here, I think we really will have a situation where you've got very different kinds of Republicans um, running for um, the governor's seat, and that will be um, that will be fascinating. It will be interesting to see how they go about their campaigns and where they find um, where they find their support. Well, that was Chris Karpowitz, professor of political science at Brigham Young University and a professional prognosticator. Thanks again for joining us on our midterms recap. It's great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Before we leave today, Nicole, we have a special message from our new senator. That reminds me of that old uh, Johnny Cash song, remember that thing, which is, uh, I've been everywhere, I've been everywhere, man, cross the deserts, bear man, breathe the mountain air man, travel I've had my share man, I've been everywhere. I've been to Logan, Ogden, Payson, Ancelana, Layton, Mapleton, Farmington, Antowilla, Bluffdale, Castledale, Riverdale. If you haven't seen that yet, that was Mitt Romney waxing poetic about the campaign trail in a tweet today. What is it with Utah politicians breaking into song all the time? Utahns and Mormons just love musical theater, man. (laughs) They really do. (laughs) Since he pronounced Hurricane and Mighton and Tooele right, can we, does that mean we can revoke his carpetbagger status now? I I think so. (laughs) I think we can bury that one in the 2018 election files. 45 Days is a production of KUER News. This episode was produced by me, Nicole Nixon. And me, Julia Ritchie. With original music by David Whited and our own Senator-elect, Mitt Romney. Be sure to refresh your feeds in January. We will be back for a full third season for the start of a new legislative session. For more local news and legislative coverage, visit our website at KUER.org and follow us on social media. And if you want to tell us everywhere you've been, tweet me at Julia Ritchie. And I am at underscore Nixo. See you next year. Bye.